You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Drinks with Johnny podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week as I had the esteemed pleasure of sitting down with Russ Rakin of the band Good Riddance. Uh, We talked a little bit about uh, his band and the music they put out, but we also started off the whole conversation just talking hockey as I learned Russ is a scout for the Western Hockey League. Now, that's a bantam division. He helps out uh, informing families and kids of uh that who are aspiring to be professional hockey players he gives them the lowdown tries to recruit them to the to his league his team and give him the pros and cons of going there versus a d1 obviously we talked a little bit about the uh, stanley cup finals that are happening right now uh unfortunately my la kings uh just lost uh this weekend uh and i was a little bummed about that but it, it's okay there. They're in the right path, the right track. Hopefully they can get back to it next season. We talk a little bit about that. Obviously, this was recorded before that happened, so uh, we didn't we didn't uh, talk about the outcomes here. But the Oilers won. They're moving on in the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, and uh, uh, congrats to them. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll see them next year again, hopefully, <laughs> as the as the Kings produce. Uh, we also get into a little bit of Russ's uh, solo project. He has a new album that just came out this year called "Come Together, Fall Apart." It's an acoustic thing, uh, but obviously on the album he's accompanied some music behind it. And uh, we talk a little bit about the difference of playing in good riddance and doing some solo stuff. Uh, he just got back from a tour in Europe. Uh, their good riddance is actually on tour right now. And if you're interested in some of those tour dates, I'm sure you could find it anywhere. Just put good riddance in that uh, Google search or follow them on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter. I'm sure they have all that. Insta- uh, GoodRiddance.com, all those wonderful things. Or find them through the Fat Records uh, YouTube channel or anything like that. Um, but again, it was an absolute honor to talk to Russ, uh, uh, definitely a dude who's been in the punk rock scene for a long time, since the early 80s, uh, uh, I'm sorry, early 90s rather, of Good Riddance and obviously influenced through the 80s. Uh, he's also been working with Bill Stevenson. He had a, a really great band called Only Crime. Uh, I really, I got to talk to him a little bit about that. And I really hope they get back together. If you're not familiar with Bill Stevenson, then you uh, really need to uh, go brush up on some Descendants and everything that he has produced over the years if you're a punk rock fan. 
because he's absolutely amazing. So without further ado, I'm just going to get into this conversation with Russ Rakin of Good Riddance. All right, so Russ, how the hell are you today, man? You in, uh, you're back home in Santa Cruz right now? I am. Right on. Um, and you were, you were born and raised uh, right there in, uh, in, uh, in the Bay Area, Santa Cruz? Santa Cruz, born and raised, yeah. Awesome, man. So I, I, I heard, the first thing I want to talk to you a little bit about, something I was super interested in, is that you uh, kind of have this volunteer thing where you're helping uh, kids get into the NHL after going through the, what, 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 what's, the, what's the league that you're helping out with the hockey? So I work in the Western Hockey League. Western Hockey League, that's right. Yeah, Sorry. so it's it's major junior. So it's uh, our players are generally between seventeen and nineteen, and they get they get scouted by the NHL. And so my job is to find players to play on our team, and my area is California. That's awesome. I, I wanted to talk to you about that because one of my uh, very best friends has a, has a son who's uh, nine, ten years old. He might be ten now. He's in nine or ten years old, and he plays hockey. And we actually, my band, Avenged Sunfold, sponsored his team uh, here in Southern California, and he travels all over for it. So maybe there's in a few years you might be uh, 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 checking him out. So we scout players. I scout players when they're bantam, bantam yeah. age, so fourteen turning fifteen. Mm-hmm. So if he's playing AAA for either the Junior Kings, Junior Ducks, Junior Sharks, any kind of any of those AAA teams, I might see him. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. We'll, we'll keep in touch uh, in, in the next few years. And if, if that comes to fruition, I, I, that would just be really funny to me and uh, serendipitous, I guess. Yeah. I, every once in a while, I'll, I'll be at the rink doing, doing that. And like, there'll be like a public skate at the next thing. And, and like some dad will come over and be like, oh, my God, you're in, you're in good riddance. And I've got my I got my track suit track jacket on. I'm all dressed for scouting, like not doing punk at all. And and I, it's super funny when the worlds collide like that. Yeah, I mean, I got to imagine for some of the other dads that, uh, as you said, there it's got to be kind of kind of crazy, you know, growing up listening to your band Good Riddance and uh, over the years, and then w- w- they got to ask the question, "What the hell are you doing here, man?" <laughs> yeah, I'm always. I mean, I I feel like I kind of look like. It should be obvious what I'm doing. Like I got like mm-hmm. the business casual going. I got the the notebook out. I'm watching. I'm up on the glass watching. But like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll talk to people. And I've taken a few pictures. It's just, it's just. I'm, when I show up to the rink for that, like I'm so not thinking about the band or anything like that. I'm, I'm like, so when the worlds collide, it's always sort of funny. Well, Russ, are you? Do you mean to tell me there's more outside your life than just the band and music? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple things. But, oh man, that that's yeah. wild. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it, when, when so I, I heard you talking a little bit about this on some other interviews and uh, you, how you uh, your job right now is generally kind of educating a lot of these parents who don't know about the uh, the Western Hockey League yeah. um, and this this kind of segues from what you were just talking about are you ever like in the middle of like explaining it to them and then it dawns on them that you're Russ from Good Riddance no no it's, it usually happens around the, the same time I introduce myself. Or they'll come up to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's usually when it happens. Never, never during the recruiting? No, never during that. Usually they, they either don't know anything or they already know by then. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. And how did you, I, I heard that you kind of, uh, you had a buddy that, uh, and you were really into hockey, but you grew, as we said at the top of the show here, you're in Santa Cruz, born and raised, not a lot of hockey going in there. So, uh, zero, where, <laughs> zero hockey. I mean, and I heard, and I know you grew up, uh, surfing and skating like most of us Californians did. So 
where did you get the bug for hockey when you first put on some skates? I mean, what what is this uh, what is this uh, uh, passion for you? Well, this will totally date me, but I, I I fell in love with the game during the Miracle on Ice, like the 1980 Winter Olympics. Okay, I just remember just being being taken with like the speed and the color and the violence like of of hockey during that time, and then I just loved it, and I would watch it whenever I could, and like you said, being being where I where I lived, there wasn't any going on. So I would watch on TV whenever like ESPN would have a national game or something. And I just became a became a student of the game. Like I just couldn't get enough and, and just learning about it and kind of like the next layer of learning, like besides just like, oh, I like that team or oh, I know what a goal is or I know what offsides is. And like pretty soon I was like the unbearable friend, like, like, dude, shut up about hockey. Like nobody cares. And uh and that just kept going. And then some, some years later, I, I really wanted to work in hockey. I was like, I feel like that feel like that's my calling. Obviously I started playing as an adult, like rec hockey. So I'm not going to be working in hockey doing that for sure, <laughs> but maybe something else. And um, just, it was, it was really fortuitous. Like California players were starting to, in the mid two thousands, California players were starting to make their way up to the Western hockey league, which tr- traditionally was, was all Western Canadian kids, maybe maybe a, a, an outlier from Minnesota or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but suddenly, like kids from Arizona, California, are making their way up there. And my friend who had played in the NHL and was part owner of a, a team in the Western League at that time, I was I was like, I, I, what what should I do? I really want to get into I really want to get into scouting. And he talked to his GM. He goes, Hey, I got a buddy in California. I can vouch for him. Like he knows what he's talking about how'd you guys like to have a set of eyes down there? And that's just kind of how it happened. And that was the, I worked for the Kootenai ice, which was that team, which has moved and become the Winnipeg ice. Now Okay. I worked for them for five years. And then now I work for the tri city Americans, but that was my, that was my like foot in the door. Right. And so, and that's, and that worked out for them, right. To have someone that's there in California, they don't have to travel as much. Do you, when you're doing your scouting, are you just on the phone, a zoom call these days, or are you traveling up to the team and, uh, and, and showing tape or whatever? So the, what so the way it works is we, the way it works is we have scouts in all the Western provinces of Canada. Okay. We have a head scout that travels a lot and we have a GM that travels a bit, but my job is mostly California. So any, during the season, my job is to identify the best draft eligible players, which are Bantam, Bantam age that year, to identify the best players, to write reports on them, which I send into our GM and our head scout, and to talk to the talk to the families and the players just to see if there's any interest. And then, generally, some point in the year, if there's player, if, a, if there's a player that I'm like, you guys got to see this guy like one of one of our either our GM or head scout will travel to see that player. Uh, most of the, the tier one California teams will travel to Western Canada at least once a year, usually BC. Uh, for, there'll be some tournament where they'll be able to see a map. But if not, they'll, they'll fly down here and go to go to a game with me. But we all of our staff, we go to training camp, which is the end of August every year up in Eastern Washington, where the team plays. So we assemble there for training camp where we have our draftees, camp invites and our returning veteran players and everybody splits into teams and, and they scrimmage and we kind of evaluate there. And it's just a really cool time to see the rest of the staff. Cause we've got a great staff and, 
and everybody's together. But other than that, we're kind of all on our own. Okay. And how long is that? Uh, is when you guys get back together in Eastern uh, Washington, how long? Is, how Training long camp, it's like three or four days. Three, four yeah. days. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I wasn't sure how rigorous it was at that level. It's, it's right before the season starts. So we're, for a lot of, for the players that we draft, so if we draft a Bantam player, he can't play in our league at 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, he's, he's basically just going to camp to get a look, to like meet the staff, to see the facility, to see the town, to kind of get an introduction of what it's all about. And then he's going to go home and play midget AAA or, or whatever. And then when he comes back, when he's 15 turning 16, he's got a chance to stay. Okay. Uh, so, so for the drafted kids, it's, it's, a, it's basically their first introduction to the speed and the skill level. Cause they're going to be on, on these scrimmage teams that are mixed up between like 15 year olds and 19, 20 year olds. So right. So be, like as, as young as, like you said, like 15 who are yeah. at, at a high school age, really. And yeah. some of the 18, 19 or 20 year olds even that are yeah. looking to go pro. Yeah. And do a lot of them who start at 15, are they, are they waiting till they're about 19 to get drafted or, or I know the draft NHL is, draft really 18, is 18, right? It's 18. 18? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And how many of them are, have you seen that are going through uh, your guys' team and training that are uh, making it and getting drafted at age 18? Uh, we have guys drafted every year. Uh, we had a couple years ago, we had uh, Michael Rasmussen, who is our captain. He's playing for the Detroit, Detroit Red Wings now. Carrie uh, uh, Price has played, played, played in our program. It was before my time, who plays for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Brandon Carlo, who plays for the Boston Bruins, uh, was, was on our team. So a lot, a lot of these guys are going to go pro, maybe not the NHL. So when you, when you finish your junior hockey career with us, let's say, for every year you played with us, you've got a year of books and tuition that's kind of like in the bank, ready for you. If, if you. if pro hockey doesn't work out for you, you can kind of cash in on that scholarship money. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. So the, the kids aren't, uh, you know. No, it's a, it's a good deal. A so you're, when you're done, you have 18 months to get to, to cash in on that money. Unless you sign an NHL contract, then you don't get it. But, okay. But well, if you, sign I, an NF- you probably don't need it if you sign. Don't need it. Yeah. So, but but you could go. You could go. Let's say you. Let's say your draft age was eighteen. You didn't get drafted, or you got drafted but didn't get signed. So your agents out there like trying to get you a get you a job. Like, hey, East Coast League, American Hockey League, Europe. So when you finish with us, you can go for eighteen months and or a year. You could go try pro hockey somewhere, and. If you dig it, you're off. You go. You're you're a pro hockey player. If you don't like it or it doesn't work out, you come back. You cash in. You take your scholarship money, and you get on with your life. You go get a degree. And what's cool about it is you can take that money and go to any school that you want to go to. Oh, that's great. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no restrictions there. Then that's great. You can't you can't play D one hockey, but you okay. can go to a D, you could go to a D one school. If you go to a Canadian university to get your degree, you can play hockey up there. Okay. Wow. Okay. That, I mean, that seems like, I mean, if that seems like a passion of yours as a, as a kid and you have the, have the skill and the talent and the, and the will seems like a pretty good program. It's, I think it's the best path to be a pro hockey player. Okay. I mean, not, not everybody's going to be an NHL player, but if you really want to make a living playing hockey somewhere, uh, I think that junior hockey is the best way to get you there. Just just because of the, the and schedule you- and the way that the, just the grind that you're on the ice every day, the travel, it really sets people up for for that kind of uh, that kind of a lifestyle. And you say that more more so than a D one, as we're talking about. Like, I think I think D one is great. I think that with with junior, you get you kind of get everything sooner. Okay. You get you get in front of NHL scouts sooner. 
you get to find out if you're going to be pro sooner. Mm. And then if you're not, you get to get on with your life sooner. Whereas if you're a D1 player, you're probably going to be coming out of school, maybe in 20, 21, 22. Most guys that are elite, that are D1 players, aren't going to go all four years. Right. So you're kind of wasting, you're kind of wasting your time. You're playing like 30 games as opposed to 72. You're not on the ice every day. Uh, so, but I don't think that there's one way that's like good and one way that's bad. I think that even my job is to, is to introduce parents and players to this opportunity, to what our league can provide. It's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but unfortunately, what I found is here in California is most of our elite players come through elite programs. And most of those coaches came up through USA Hockey. And the USA Hockey has a definite path. Like you're going to go to prep school or the National Team Development Program, and you're going to go play college hockey. Like USA Hockey is not on the same page as Canadian Major Junior. Like they're kind of in conflict. And so I find I find myself having to debunk a lot of things that I've heard when I talk to parents that they've heard from coaches or other parents who heard from coaches. So it's it's I'm 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 not trying to bash D1 hockey because I think it's great, right? But I'm just trying to I'm trying to present this as an opportunity. Like not everybody in California is going to get a D1 scholarship. It's just not going to happen. Well, yeah, I mean that and, that goes for any sport, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Now some some do. I mean players yeah. are good enough now. We've got guys going going D1. And I think that's great for California hockey. But my job is basically to be like, look, this is what we can do for you. And this is what we can do at the end if, if pro hockey doesn't work out for you. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's evaluating players, identifying the best players, but it's also a lot of like kind of educating people just about what we can, what we can offer. And that's awesome. And, and, and to my understanding, you do this all like base kind of based on volunteer work, right? Yeah, we get we get our expenses paid and we get an honorarium, but yeah, it's it's just because we love it. Yeah, so you just you just have that passion. You I mean, I would love to work full time in the NHL for the NHL team. Don't get me wrong, that would yeah. be my dream. <laughs> but but I love working in the Western League. I love going to the rink. Uh, it's great. Yeah, the, joining the uh, NHL team might get in the way of your travels, though, right? I think I could make it work. Yeah, just balance like, it all. Just figure. Well, the, figure there's. It it, it's kind of like it's the same way now. Like I, I always have to go to Pacific District tournaments, state championships, and those are always around the same time. So I can let my band know, like, block off time. Like, right. I, I got to do this. I got to do this. And the NHL, if you're a scout, if you're an amateur scout, it, you're you're look, you're working around the U18s. You're working around Helenka Gretzky. You're working on the World Juniors, maybe the Frozen Four. So. Uh, there, there's, there's things that you can sort of plan for. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad for the education right off the bat here because, uh, one of my friends, I just, uh, became friends with the last, uh, six months or so. Uh, he's, he's a coach of one of these minor leagues. I, I know him from the country club over here. We played golf a few times together. He's a really, really great dude. And, uh, he try you know, he tries to play it down a little bit what he does. And he used to, he used to play pro. I mean, he's since retired and now he's, he's coaching kids. I think at this level, I, I'm not positive which league he's, he's working with, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's tough too for parents because that like, it was fun. Like youth hockey is fun up until right around Bantam. And then it gets serious. Like that's, that's, that's when hitting comes into the game. That's when the, the separation really happens between the elite players and the not so elite players. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your parents are paying like 30, 40 grand for these tier one programs. So there's a lot of money tied up in it. 
and suddenly you've got people like me bugging you. You've got uh, maybe you've got ads of of colleges starting to bug you. You've got people that want to be. You can't have an agent yet at that age, but you can have a you can have a family advisor. So you got those people circling around. Okay. So it's a, it's a lot for parents to absorb, and I get it. And so I, my my job is to just introduce myself, give them my card, say like, hey, anytime you want. If you got questions, I'm here to answer them. Even if you decide to do something else, like I'm happy to answer any question, and I'll I'll give you the total truth. Like I won't beat around the bush about it. Well, yeah, you got you got no horse in the race, really. You're just there to to help out in any way you can, right? Well, I mean, I would love it if they would if they would sign with our program for sure. Okay. Yeah, if, okay, if yeah, an, okay. If it's an elite player, but right. but the, I mostly just want to like make sure that they are clear on the options, right? Because they they hear a lot of things that aren't true, and so I want to be able to steer them straight about what our elite can offer, and also, but also not to bash any other path, right? Like I'm not here. I'm not here to like talk down on the NCAA. I'm not here to like, to do that. I'm here to say like, this is what we can do. I think it's a pretty good deal. And, and this is what you guys can expect. And, you know, most players in our league end up playing pro hockey somewhere. And if that's what you really want to do, like this is probably the best path for you. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. That's awesome, man. So you did mention that you would, uh, if an NHL team rather would, uh, uh, would, would have you, you'd, you'd obviously want to work with them. Is there, is there a dream team that you would like to uh, work with? Well, the, 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 New Jersey Devils, the New Jersey Devils are my favorite team. Like that would be... Okay. That would be how Hollywood would write it. I would end up working for the New Jersey Devils. Do you go full like Seinfeld? What's his name? Uh, Putty when he when he dresses up like. Uh, like no, no, no. <laughs> it's sort of sad that that's the only most people's only reference for the New Jersey Devils is, is that guy. Sort of, I apologize. I mean, I I no, watch a little okay. bit of hockey. It's okay. I watch when the Stanley Cup is going on, which yeah, it is yeah. right now, and I'm a I'm a Kings fan. I. Um, uh, actually, I was uh, uh, in an AA program when I was in high school, and my sponsor was a big Kings fan, so we'd watch together uh, for a long time. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it was. I I really, and then I got a couple of buddies who had season tickets. We went out there. The the Kings a few years ago were, uh, would play our song "Hail to the King" when they're uh, 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 starting. Oh, that's the awesome. Game. That's got to be a good feeling. Oh yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so obviously, you've been watching. I assume the, yeah. the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So, uh, what are your thoughts here? Who's 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 uh, who's your favorite? Since the Devils aren't in it, and I, I have season tickets for the Sharks because they're like twenty minutes away from here. Right. Sharks are not in it, uh, so I'm sort of. I usually adopt a team from each conference, so I'm adopted the Carolina Hurricanes in the East, and I'm I'm kind of hoping the Kings can like. That wasn't looking good for a while, but they played great last night, and and uh, it would be kind of cool to have the Kings move on and. Yes. And even though the, you know, the Oilers are supposed to be these, this juggernaut and they have a lot of really good players, but they can't seem to do it in the playoffs. So, Well, it was, it was really crazy just the first game right off the bat. Like I came into it uh, in the third period 
And man, that first game was a hell of a game over in Edmonton. Like that was, and I was watching it. And from my understanding, like the the Kings were not supposed to win, and they're certainly not supposed to win this series. They got a lot of young, a lot of young guys. I mean, they still got Quick and a couple of the of the veterans, but a lot of young guys on this team. Is a lot of it's, it's, it looks like it's a pretty bright future for the Kings again. Yeah, I would say they're ahead of schedule, and their goalie is is playing like. A younger version of himself like he did last night he played yeah. out of his mind uh so that's that's great for the kings like they are ahead of schedule for sure they weren't supposed to make the playoffs this year so good good for them well i'll be watching the rest of the series too rooting for the kings as uh, as i have in the past and i like their colors too i'm a raiders fan so i mean i just i just you know do you have other sports that you watch or you just predominantly hockey or it just takes so much of your time or living around here like it's hard not to be a giants fan with baseball right uh yeah i, I follow the giants pretty closely and what about going some... state i mean you got going no state i, I can't get into basketball I, I, okay i I, I sort of like ask my buddies who are into it, like how are the Warriors doing? But I, that's about the extent of it. And then I can tell you they're doing pretty fucking good right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know that I know some of the names of the players. Just you can't really escape it living around here. But I don't mm. really. I don't. I can't get into basketball. I've tried, and I follow. I followed USC football for some reason. I don't know since I was a kid. Why wouldn't you know. follow I, the the Niners or the Raiders when they're in there in the area? I was a Raider fan when I was a kid. Good man. I was a Raider fan when I was a kid. Wait, but that wait, was like a, that not was anymore. So wait, wait, not, now, now we got trouble. I sort of like, I sort of check in on them. Like, I don't really care about the NFL that much. If okay. I, if I, they're the only team I really would watch or, or care about. Well, you got to pay attention again this coming year. They, they get on paper. We're looking good. So they, now's the time to pay attention again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back into a little bit of music, though, man. Uh, uh, you guys released uh, a Good Riddance record in 2019. That was the last release. And then uh, you guys are about to tour here uh, just in a few days, really. We're recording this on the, what day is it, the 8th or the 9th? And uh, you guys are, you're getting ready to leave here in a couple of days, right? Yeah. And where's that yeah. tour starting? Brooklyn. So we're doing like East Coast. We're playing, it's kind of cool. We're playing some places that we haven't played in a while, like like Pittsburgh and Chicago we're playing Louisville, Kentucky, which I don't know if we've ever played there. Yeah, I have. It, I've, I think like once or twice. There's a the hotel. It's gonna it's gonna escape me the name of it, but it's right around the corner from where the they uh, have a, a Louisville Slugger store, and inside it they have like these this. You know, if I remember it, I will uh, let Vanessa know so you could go check it out while you're there. In cool. the lobby, they have this great artwork. I mean, it's it's insane what they, and I don't know why it's in the middle of Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> but it's, I mean, I had a blast there uh, just because that hotel in that downtown area is actually, it's a little small, yeah, but it's pretty cool, it. man. Definitely looking forward to it. And then we go to Eastern Canada. We're doing like London, Toronto, and we're, the final show is Pooza Fest in Montreal. Okay. And while you're, while you're out in Canada on the East Coast, uh, you have any days off for any of these uh, teams in the, in the Cup that you uh, might, might get a chance think, to check out? I don't think so. Oh, I, don't think I, have, I don't think we have any days off. How, we, how, try, we, we try not to. <laughs> is that how you guys tour generally, like back-to-back shows, no, not too many days off? Or? Yeah, days off or money holes. So, like, <laughs> no, no, no thank you. You don't, you don't need the rest on your voice uh, or anything like that? I probably do, but who cares? Like, <laughs> you just fucking can't. go for it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I know you just uh, you 
you've been doing some solo stuff over the years and you released a, a record not too long ago. And then I, I heard you talking about you were gearing up to do some shows. This was a few months ago. Now I imagine you've done some of these solo shows. How, how did those go for you? Cause I'd, I, I heard you talking about it on another podcast and you're like, sometimes they're, you know, I, I could hear them talking cause it's just you and a, an acoustic guitar some people are, might have their backs to you. Other times, yeah, get it's people a strange, it's a strange thing to do. I went to Europe in March, and that was actually pretty cool. Uh, you know, it was with COVID still going on in some places. Like some places were so like restricted and masks, and then places like like in Amsterdam, it was like COVID never happened. Like no masks, no restrictions anymore. They're all done. And so it was weird, like day-to-day different things. And I, I was the first live entertainment in some of the venues I'd played at in wow. like two years. So some people are just not sure about coming out. Plus there's the, the wars going on not too far away. And, right. and But given all of that, I'm super stoked. Like I had a couple shows or about 10 people. And then most of them were like 30 to 50 people, which is better than I expected. And then I just got back from the East Coast. I did five shows out there. Those were very small, but still fun. And it was just cool to get out and do it. And why, why did you choose Europe to uh, do some of your solo stuff for the first time? I mean, do, you, do you have a, uh, for, forgive me if, uh, for not knowing, but Good Riddance have a really good following. And you have a really good following out in Europe. Is that why you chose there? Or you just wanted to get good out Good Riddance has always done all right there. But mm-hmm. I think that I, I just wanted to, with this new album out, because I put an album out like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't really do, I would, if people, if people hit me up, like, Hey, you want to play? I'd be like, sure. But I never got a booking agent. I never really tried to make a go of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought with this album coming out that it would be the right thing to do for the people that put the album out that I at least go out and, and try to play some shows and to see if there's any, see if people like it, see if it's any good. So it's sort of my, my goal really to, to play more. And so I got a booking agent here in the, in North America and then the same agency, the books, good riddance booked my European tour. And it was, yeah, it was really cool. I just wanted to go out. I just wanted to go over there and do it. You know, I'd never headlined solo over there. Mm-hmm. And even though it was a weird time to go and everything, I just was like, I just want to do it just to say that I've done it. And, and it ended up being really cool. Yeah. I mean, let's do it again. I mean, obviously, it's kind of a passion project, too, in, in a lot of respects. You're getting it, your own solo stuff out. And I'm, I listened to the, the latest record that you put out, and uh, you got, like, some production. Obviously, there's more instruments in it. But as you said, when you're going out, you're just doing it acoustically, right? Yeah. So the trick with doing those kinds of records is to flesh them out a little bit because unless you're, unless you're Billy Bragg, like, nobody wants to buy a record and just hear a dude in a guitar. Mm-hmm. So try to flesh out the arrangements a little bit with some other instruments, but not overdoing it to the point where when you show up and it's just you and a guitar at a club, that it sounds empty or different. Right. So the, hopefully the guitar is the main driving thing in all of these songs. So that when you show up to a club and you start playing the song, if people are familiar with the, the record, they're like, oh, I know what this song is. Like, so it doesn't sound completely different. So that's sort of what I always had in mind when I was recording the album. Was like, even even I'm, as I'm adding these other layers, trying to like not over add. I'm sorry. Did, uh, uh, did you write and record all this stuff yourself, produce it yourself? Did you have any help uh, at all? Or are you just going into a studio locally and doing it all yourself? I did it at the blasting room where it's just where good. Bill Stevens. Is. Yeah, yeah. Bill Stevenson helped me. And 
the other guys that that are engineers there. So I had a lot of really good help. I mean, I wrote all the songs except for the the cover song. Mm-hmm. And but I, they helped me with fleshing out the arrangements. You know, Bill always helps me with my vocal performances and making sure that I'm not screwing up too bad. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he he would know. I mean, Bill Stevenson, yeah. uh, the Descendants, and and of course all the records that he's produced over the years, and of course uh, only Crime you guys did together. I listened to that. I don't know why that went under my radar for so long as a, as a punk fan and. I, in preparation to having you on here, I was like, what is this only crime stuff? I started listening to it and you could hear a lot of Bill's influence on it too. And I know you're, you're, you're a great songwriter yourself. What was it like? What was the collaboration when it came to writing these songs? Because as I said, there's a lot of that uh, uh, dissonant chords in there, a lot of the, the stuff you would hear from Descendants and I would assume that's a, a lot of Bill there. Uh, and then of course, a lot of uh, your vocals and everything is, is very much you. So where, where was that collaboration? How, how much was it uh, 50-50 or what was, what was the split or anything like that? What was, what was it like, I guess? Well, Only Crime, Only Crime was really meant, like it sort of germinated as what if what if we had like slip it in era black flag but with more melody oh, that's kind of wow. what we that's kind of what we wanted to do cuz bill bill played in black flag for years and he was a huge fan of black flag like they were his favorite band and then when he got in the band the the songs started getting slower and a little weirder and a little more not the same as like the first the first stuff right and Probably he really had, he, he was yeah, he was missing playing like the, you know, police story type vibe uh, or even up through Slip It In, like the like kind of more menacing, like menacing stuff, but also jazz influence stuff. Like, like who cares if, if it's in seven, eight, who cares if, if this chord isn't a real chord? Like, let's just play it like that kind of stuff. So we were super influenced by, by Black Flag, obviously, and by, by like, Coltrane and Ornette Coleman and, and people like that. And so the, the, the music writing was way over my pay grade. Like I didn't do any of that. I would just be sitting with my notebook, just trying to like hang on by the skin of my teeth as these guys like <laughs> created this insane sounding stuff that, so it was, it was a challenge to write melodies and lyrics for it, but it, which was good for me because it was not in standard time. A lot of it, there was lots of like pauses and lurches and like just, really cool stuff. Like I thought it was great. We, we never, we went under a lot of people's radar, man. But I, I just, I, I can't believe it though. Cause every, everyone listening at home real quick, if, uh, if you're a fan of Russ, but you haven't heard of only crime or a fan of Bill Stevens, just a fan of punk in general. And as he's saying, some of that jazz influence punk, some of the, the stop and go great stuff that I love as, as a musician as well. And a punk rock fan, you got to go check out Only Crime. You got three records out there you could go listen to right now, and they're fucking fire. So go check those out right now. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, especially the last one we did, Pursuance. I just I listened to it the other day, and I was just like, wow, this is a great band. Like, now you guys killed it, man. I I, I like I said, I, I I I'm ashamed to admit it went under my radar because it, it's really fucking good. Like it's it, well, given, it's got it was like kind of want. a band of people from other bands and everybody lived different places. It was hard for us to mobilize and really do a lot. And so I think that sort of hurt us. We couldn't tour the way we wanted to, mm. but we're still, we, we actually never stop, stop. Like we, we have a, an active group text and we always are like, 
screwing around with each other and we want to get together and write new stuff again. So it, oh, that'd be there, awesome. may, there may be, there may be more, like it's not, it's more, it's, it's more a product of everybody's just being so busy yeah. and living, living in different States and stuff like that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we got back together and did more stuff. That'd be great. Do you, do you think you'd actually do some more touring on it too, or maybe just come back? To I, would, I would love to. I think, I think everything is, everything is uh, on the table. Yeah, man. I think it'd be great to see you guys. Uh, I'd love to see that act live. I haven't, I mean, obviously I haven't had the pleasure, but I think that'd be, I mean, as you said, all the guys getting together from different States, super group, if you will, you know, in the, in the punk rock world. So well, it was a rad. super group that, that drew about 30 people. So. <laughs> Some of the best ones but, are that way. But we had, we had fun though. We had, we had a lot of fun. That's great, man. So let's get into some of the good riddance stuff too. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, Symptoms in 2001 was probably to date still your favorite good riddance record. Is that still the case today? I think so, or, or our most recent one. The most recent one I, I, I like a lot, and uh, it's the first one that I wrote every song for, which I'd never done before. Usually I write most of the songs, and then Luke, our guitar player, will write like a chunk of songs that I write the lyrics for. Uh, but Luke was, was super busy. He had, he had a combination of things going on in his personal and professional life. And he was, he was down to do the record, but he just didn't have the time to give to, to writing songs. So, so I wrote all the songs for that. And just as a, as a songwriter, like taking that on and, and feeling that pressure and feeling like, came through it okay and had a pretty decent batch of material uh, that, that felt pretty good. But I think Symptoms is more like in my head, I think about that was probably like the height of our band's powers. And that was the first time that I really felt comfortable and confident about my songwriting and my singing was recording that album. It was a big turning point for me because up until then I kind of just would go in a studio and and yell a bunch and they would tell me I was flat and like sooner or later they'd have a take, you know, but I really didn't know what, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and it was frustrating a lot of times because mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm just not a singer. Like some people roll out, roll out of bed and they're just a good singer. You know what I mean? And I was just the guy that didn't know how to play anything when the band started and like beat myself into a serviceable singer over many, many years with a lot of help from people like Bill. If I'm correct, you were in a marching band playing snare when you met your original drummer for good riddance and in high school right and was that the early 90s is that is that right we knew each other when we were when we were like toddlers we were neighbors oh me shit. And our original drummer yeah and, and we had a we band together that, that yeah that's pretty cool man yeah yeah i played snare drum in the marching band but i didn't but when the band started i, I mean i didn't know how to really how to play guitar or any of that stuff like I, I taught myself how to do all those things and so singing for me was always like like I'm, I'm the singer, but like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and over the years, I kind of learned what I was doing. And Symptoms was the first time I went in the studio with like some sort of confidence. And like, you know, like you've done the band thing, like singers sometimes, like when they, you don't want to hear your voice on playback, you take the headphones off. You're like, I don't want to hear that. And, <laughs> and that was me up until Symptoms. And then I was, I was just into it. I didn't, it didn't bother me hearing my voice back. I was trying things. I was like, Hey, let's try this. Let's experiment here. Like it was a totally different attitude from on my part. I turned some corner on that record where like I became more confident about, I guess, about my singing and songwriting. And, and I just always kind of remember that. And then also like that record fat, I remember pushed so hard 
I was doing so many interviews. We were, we toured and we were in the weekly in every town. We, we moved to the next bigger venue and all the towns we played. It was like a noticeable shift for us, like upward that I remember just was really kind of a cool, a cool year. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, people listening wouldn't, wouldn't know this, right. About your, about your singing, you know, like <laughs> if you're just listening to the music and not, not in the, the interviews and, and chats like this, it's like uh, people who aren't musicians or anything like that might not understand that. But I, I find a lot of people, at least in the punk and, and hard rock scene, like don't really consider their, themselves singers. They were just kind of the only one that could kind of hold a tune for a little bit in the garage band days and then kind of fell into it. And then uh, for you, I mean, how many records was that? Was that three, four records before uh, Symptoms then that it took for you to gain that confidence that you have now? I mean, you're, you're a great vocalist, man. I, 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 lo- you. I love your style. I, lo- I love the sound. It, 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 it's, it's awesome to hear. Thank you. You could talk about the punk rock influence. I've heard about the Dead Kennedys and Sex Pistols were early on. Um, and then working with Bill Stevenson, did you have a lot of Milo influences on there? Because I, I could hear a little bit of that in the Only Crime stuff as well. Or was that just because the way the music was being written, it just kind of flowed easily into a style like that? I think I was, I was late to the Descendants party. Like I, I got into that band late. And I, I was dating a girl that loved the Descendants and she loved all mm. and she i went with her to see all in like the this might have been 1990 scott reynolds was singing for all okay and i was just starting to get into the descendants music because i just for some reason i'd always kind of dismissed him as a college rock band without ever hearing him like an idiot <laughs> and then i heard live edge and i was like fuck this is great this is like <laughs> such a good record. these are killer tunes they're they're punk and they're aggressive but this the singing's got this rad melody right and i just yeah i started getting into it and Bill has always uh, compared me to Milo. Not, I'm not the singer Milo is by any means, but like the fact there's a little bit of an edge. Mm-hmm. Like you're going for melody, but there's a little bit of an edge. Right. Uh, he, what he calls barking Milo. Like he says, there's different types of Milo, like barking Milo. Uh, it's so, so like I've always kind of had that and Bill brings that out of me. And so. I'm, I forgot. I lost track of the question. But. <laughs> I was just talking about your influences and, and the oh yeah, and, so, so like uh, and your barking side. I mean that 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 makes perfect sense because you are so uh, in all the uh, music that I've heard you create. It is very melodic when it comes to the vocal melodies and 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 the lines and stuff. But you do have that that uh, that that rasp. That I mean, for me, all of my favorite singers have that. I don't I don't think there's uh, too many of my uh, favorite singers in any genre that just have a perfectly clean voice. There's, there's always got to be a little distortion. I mean, there's singers, there's singers out there like, like Zoli, who was in Ignite, mm-hmm. like Scott Reynolds, uh, like the, like the guy that sang in Big Drill Car that like they're, it's clean, perfect. Like they're, they're like legit singers. Like they were born to be singers. And, and like, I admire that. I could never do it. You know what I mean? Like I can, I'm striving for melody. I'm trying not to just scream and yell. Right. I'm striving for melody, but my voice is just not, I'm just not that guy. And so, so my voice is just inherently has some, some edge to it. And so it seems to be, I kind of landed on Milo without really trying to. Right. I started, kind of became that type of singer. Yeah, I mean, if that's, I mean, if you came late to the party, it probably wasn't, as you said, a huge influence. It just 
kind of happened upon it, but it's, it's a great, it's a great one and to I, happen upon. <laughs> I wanted to sing like Greg Graffin, just like everybody else. There you go. There's another, there's another great one. Didn't, didn't really pan out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on some, uh, some more serious notes though, that are not necessarily tied in with music. I know that, uh, uh, your bassist Chuck uh, in January was hit by a car, as I, as I understand, leaving his restaurant. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell me? A little, I mean, I, I'm just going off of, of a couple of headlines I saw. Like, how's he doing? Uh, I mean, that's just that's a freak accident, obviously. But yeah, um, it was gnarly. Like, it was when I got the call, it was really, it was really gnarly. And he, yeah, it could have been it could have been a lot worse. I guess is the best way to think about it because he. He got hit. He got hit pretty good, and and he was walking across the street, right, or something, yeah, and then the yeah. car hit him. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like he was in a car too. I mean, that's, no, he was walk. He was walking, fuck, and man. he he fucked up his ankle and foot and the other knee, and he was in bad shape for a while. But he, typical Chuck, like he's got a great attitude. He's healthy. He's just killed his physical therapy. He's up and around now, bothering people again, and and uh. It was really cool. We played with Pennywise down at the Garden Amp. Oh, you were March, at that show. Oh, cool. In March, and he he played in his wheelchair. <laughs> oh awesome. shit! I didn't he's know like, that. He's like, I'm not missing this. And he he flew down and and uh, yeah, he sat in his wheelchair on stage and played. But he's up now. He's playing. He's playing upright. Like these shows we're going to be doing coming up. He's not going to be typical Chuck, like bouncing off the walls, but he'll be able to stand and and rock it. So he's he's way ahead of schedule with his with his recovery. Dude, that's incredible. I'm I'm glad to hear that because I mean, I could only imagine as a as a brother in the band, as someone you've been with for a very long time, getting that call must have been fucking yeah. heart wrenching. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that all is all is getting better and and on the up and up. And but I, you did mention that this uh, Garden Amp. I just yeah. went there for the first time the other night to see my buddy Chris Jericho's band Fozzy. I hadn't mm-hmm. been there before, but our singer Matt went out to this Pennywise show. It was H two O was also on it, right? They did a bunch of shows. So Pennywise did. They did well, like five or six in a row, right? Yeah. So we played the full circle night. So they did. Okay. They pick a. They pick an album, and they would have support bands, and they would play that album album in its entirety, and then they'd play you know their other hits. Right. And so we we were on the full circle night. So we we also played with, I think it was um, Authority Zero, and Chaser. I can't remember who else played that night, but it was super fun. Like, and I've, so the garden app is, we played that outside thing with Pennywise, but there's also a little smaller room that I, that I played with Trevor, me and Trevor from face to face did a solo. You guys went in there like show. after the show, like, no, no, we played there another, another time in September. Time, me, and, gotcha. me and me and Trevor toured in September together okay. and we did a show in that little room and, and that was really fun too. So it's a kind of a cool spot with different, different places to have shows. I've lived here my whole life. I didn't know that that even existed. I know that just opened up as a venue, I believe, in 2018. Um, but yeah. I didn't even hear about it before. I mean, I'm literally, I grew up in Westminster right next to Garden Grove. Yeah, I yeah. live in Huntington Beach now. This is all Orange County. Yeah, yeah. That was my first concert was Friday night there. Yeah. And it's it's uh, it's a cool little spot. Is it like a, I was trying to get the lowdown on it. Is is it kind of like a performance school or something of, of some kind? And then like all around it or? I really yeah. don't know much about it. <laughs> we, I, I showed up to the first time when me and Trevor played. Yeah. When obviously we weren't in the amphitheater part of it. And then. You're talking knew, about that I, room that's right behind the amphitheater. With, with all the lockers. Yeah, the lockers. Yeah. There was, yeah. A, there was a couple yeah. of bands that played there like yeah. after. Yeah. Yeah. We weird. played there, me and Trevor. And it was super fun. 
and it was just kind of a cool a cool setup like the amphitheater part like for a pennywise show it's weird because there's like barely any dance floor right but but for like older people like old punkers that want to go out and see a show it's rad because you can sit in the seats and it's the way that the way that the amphitheater is is like everywhere you sit you can see everything and yeah. you're close it's not super massive no it's um, so it it's was a pretty, really it's a intimate. pretty good intimate intimate spot so you can watch if you're not if you don't want to dance but there's actually a, there's a little bit of a dance floor uh, for people so yeah it's it's a cool spot to do to do what pennywise was doing those type of shows i think it was perfect yeah i i heard it went over well i i i, I didn't make it out and i feel bad now because I, I i know that uh fletcher was out there and i've had him on the show and become friends with him over the years and uh i love that dude he's he's an, he's a wild man but I, I love hanging out with him uh speaking of some other like orange county uh, uh venues uh do you guys, you guys must have played places like Chain Reaction and Showcase Theater here in Orange County years ago, right? Yes. You have any, you have any fond memories of those or bad memories of those? <laughs> Not really. We, there was a time in the, when we were just starting to, to go, like would be early Fat Records days, like mid-90s. I feel, I feel like we played the Showcase Theater in Corona like 100 times. Right. I feel like we I felt like we were always there. <laughs> and so we just knew we knew everybody that was there that worked there. Mm-hmm. And like the the people that came to see us, it was it was awesome. I have good memories of of driving out there. Cause what we would do, because Chuck is from Long Beach originally. His parents still live there. So we would drive down and we would like stay in Chuck's parents' house and then we would drive to like Orange County or San Diego or Inland Empire or Hollywood, depending where our shows were. We'd go down for like a weekend and play like three shows. And just driving from from Long Beach on the ninety one out to out to Corona and back, just we did. I feel like we did that so many times. We had great we had great shows. There. It was a weird venue, like it wasn't the best stage kind of setup. But it's kind of like in the corner, like the, it's kind yeah, of yeah. It was in a corner, and the, the drum riser was on this there. weird round thing. Yeah, but but we had a lot of fun there. We played, we headlined there. We played with No Use for a Name there. We played, did the Fat Records tour there. We we played with. Uh, yeah, we played there so many times. We headlined. We also we supported other bands like, and then Chain Reaction. We played I think twice. I just remember my buddy who, who played in the NHL. Uh, he was playing for the Anaheim Ducks, and he he came out to the show, and his car got towed, and I felt so bad. Uh, <laughs> From that parking lot, or yeah, um, yeah, or or maybe he parked next door. I I don't know. But, yeah, um, you can't. Next door yeah. was like a like a little like a penny saver or some shit. Not yeah, a penny yeah, saver, yeah, like a saver. But that, but we had great shows at Chain Reaction. Yeah, I'm fond of those places too. Just growing up and seeing bands there, then playing and getting the chance to play them when I was, you know, in my late teens. And uh, speaking of late teens and playing shows, you guys did uh, quite a few warp tours as well, right? Um, uh, well, how many? How many? How many did you do? Real quick. Good riddance. Yeah. We really only did one. We did oh, okay. two thousand. We did the whole main stage, the whole tour. Right on. That was like the biggest, our biggest participation. We actually also played the very first year of Warped in '95 when it was someone's crazy idea. Nobody thought it was going to take off. We did the West Coast, so we played Vancouver down to Irvine, and that was when it was like they were mostly at clubs, and there'd be a ramp out in the parking lot. Oh. Uh, so we played that I first did, I, year. I never, I never got the pleasure when, in '95. I was, I was too young to go out to those shows, unfortunately. So, but my older brother. Uh, 
turned me on to bands like Lagwagon from uh, from those early Warp tours. Yeah, so they they played those shows. No Use played, No Doubt, Civ, Orange Nine Millimeter, Sick of It All was on those. Like, Fuck yeah, that was pretty cool. But nobody had any idea what it was going to turn into. Like everyone just saw like, well, this is a crazy idea. So you got the show and you got this ramp outside. Like, how's that going to work? And it turns out it was worked out pretty well for a long time. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a five-star review. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and become a premium member. You'll get to enjoy unreleased clips from your favorite guests, discounts on merchandise in our shop, and access to our private Discord server where you can chat one-on-one with Johnny Christ himself. Awesome! So stay tuned, stay thirsty, and stay filthy as fuck. Well, fucking a. Oh, speaking of like having ramps and skating, and uh, we talked earlier being in Santa Cruz. Do you still surf? Or are you are you uh, are you into that anymore? I, I just I just got back out in the water the other day for the first time since before the pandemic. So like I'm yeah I'm stoked. Like uh, I'm looking into getting a new board and and uh, I I don't have a day job anymore. So except for the band and hockey, I have more free time. So I'm looking at trying to be back in the water more because I totally missed it. Oh man, I just, I, I, not for the pandemic or anything else. I just had a, I had a kid five years ago and got into golf and both things have occupied my time. I just got in the water. I bring that up to not to take away from you, but just to, uh, to, to share. Uh, I just got back in the water for the first time in fucking years. Finally caught a wave. I was stoked. I'm going to get back into it a little bit more often. Uh, if you're ever down in Orange County, maybe we should, uh, we, we should hit a couple waves. I, feel, I just feel like if we live here, like, and, and don't, take advantage of that. I mean, it's obviously if, if you hate the ocean or don't like surfing, that's one thing, but like I grew up doing it and I loved mm-hmm. it. And just, just to live here and not do it, I feel like I'm kind of cheating myself. So when did you start surfing? Like how, how, how early? Probably like junior high. Okay. Yeah. You get definitely started a little, I didn't start surfing. I lived here. My whole I was in, I was in the junior, I was in the junior lifeguards. Oh, so was I. Here, here yeah. In I was Huntington. in junior guards. So I was in junior guards in Santa Cruz, and that's what got me out. That's what got me out in the water oh, that's more. Awesome. And then, and I just remember we would, when we were done with our session, we would all grab Doyles and just go terrorize, and uh, like those foam, those big foam surfboards, yeah, yeah. and we would, we would go terrorize, and that's how I first started surfing. And then, obviously, after that, um, got my got my first board and all of that. Dude, that's fucking awesome! I didn't know you did junior guards. How many yeah. how many summers did you do? Two. Two. I, I did yeah. one. I did one because my, my, my parents said if I wanted to go to the beach without their accompaniment, I had to do one summer. So I did the, the minimum. Yeah, my, my parents had me do it just to kind of keep me out of trouble. And the first year I, I did it right. And the second year I kind of fucked around and would like, as soon as they dropped me off, I would leave with my buddies and go skate. Or I didn't really go every day. <laughs> but But I made friends, you know, I made friends and like that, that got me into like, you know, then I'm, then I'm surfing and then I got my board. I'm keeping a board at a buddy's house that lives down there. And like, yeah, that's when I made, you know, made some friends that like the little surf crew that we had. Oh, that's so much fun. Such a, such a good time, man. Like I met my wife at junior guards here in Huntington. No way. Yeah. I mean, we didn't get married then we were 12 years old, but yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I, I did hear um, uh, a lot of this, uh, your solo record, 
um, might have been inspired by some of the stuff that happened to you in 2020. I mean, uh, everyone went through shit in 2020, but I heard a little bit of your story and it made me, uh, made me really feel for you without even really knowing you. I mean, it kind of sounds like you got a whirlwind of shit that happened to you. Yeah. It's, I tell people like 2020, like this, this whole pandemic, like the, the pandemic and then the thing like George Floyd and, and all of that stuff. And like, like everybody went through like a rough, rough time. Right. But some of us got extra sprinkles on top and I, I got extra sprinkles on top, but it, it's not like there's still people that had it way worse than me. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I had, I had a roof over my head and, and, and I was, at, I was still working at the time and the company I worked for, even though we weren't physically going to work was still paying us, which was cool. And, um, what, what, what were you doing that I worked, I worked for Apple for 15 years. Oh, right on. Recent, what department? Oh, I had a retail store. Genius retail. bar. Oh, okay, Genius, cool. Genius bar. But, uh, yeah, they were, they still paid us. And, and so like, I'm fortunate for that. And, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a rough year for sure. Uh, I was engaged and that, that ended during the pandemic and she moved away and, and both parents passed away. And I had to get evacuated because of the fire. There's fires up here that summer. Yeah. I uh, then just crazy, just crazy stuff. And, um, but everybody had, that. everybody had a rough go. Like every, I mean, everybody right. had a rough go. So. Right. Yeah. But I just, uh, when I heard you talking about it uh, uh, before I was like, Oh man, that's, that's, that's some rough shit to go through, man. It was, was that uh sorry to, if you don't want to talk about it, you just let me no, it's know. Okay. Uh, but uh, was that your, uh, first time going in a uh, potential marriage? Uh, have you been married before? I've been, that was my second time being engaged. Okay. No, no marriages. No marriages. Okay. No. So did you, you don't have any kids then or no, no kids. Okay. Um, and then your, your parents passing. I, I know I, uh, that's gotta be rough. Um, I haven't, I can't empathize with that yet. I could sympathize though. That's gotta be, it's gotta be a shitty timing too. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it was rough, but like, it's one of those things that like, you know, it's going to happen at some point. Right. And, and you, you can, you can kind of prepare for it, uh, but it still sucks. And it's just, it's mostly just the, like the sense of being on your own. Like, like I sometimes still like, I want to run something by my mom, you know, or my dad, Right. just a, just a life thing. Like, you know, and I, but I'm fortunate that I have people around me who are, who are supportive. Uh, I have people around me who have gone through similar things that were able to kind of share with me what, what the, how they got through it. And so, I mean, it's both my parents uh, passed away, you know, in their eighties. So they had, a, they had a good run, you know, like I, I I'm grateful. And, and both were, both got ill really quickly and didn't, it didn't linger. So they didn't have to suffer for a long time. So like those kinds of things I'm grateful for. Silver linings. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they, they both had really full lives and they both didn't have to suffer for very long. Were you able to uh, see them? Cause I know like, uh, uh, my, my wife's grandfather passed during the, the 2020 pandemic and, uh, we weren't able to see him very much cause, uh, he was in a, he was in a home. Um, were you able to, uh, see yeah. So my, my dad, my dad lived there. My parents had been divorced for a long, long time, but my dad lived up, up further up there in the Bay area. And he, he passed in 2019 in December. So a couple of months before the pandemic. And I had a chance to visit with him 
probably a week or so before he passed away. And he was, he was lucid and in good spirits. And we had a, a really good talk and I was stoked about that. And then my mom, same deal. Like she was, she was at home uh, with hospice and she wasn't doing too great. And I kind of knew it was going to be soon. And I, w I was able to go up there and, and spend like two, three hours with her and just have a really, really good talk. And like, I feel good about that too. Like when, when there's nothing that's left unsaid, there's nothing they're like, oh man, I wish I would have told them that, or I wish I would have apologized for that. Or like when everything has been said and you're able to just kind of hold them and, and you know, it, I knew it was going to be the last time I was going to see my mom probably. Mm -hmm. And, but I was able to just kind of be there with her and talk to her and, and it was, you know, it was sad, but it was a good conversation to have. And it was, I'm, I'm grateful that I got to deal with both of my parents uh, where it's like, you don't, you don't get the call and you're like, oh man, I was going to go see them or I needed to tell them this or just, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Again, I could only, I could only, uh, I could empathize a little bit with that one just from other people, but not with the parents uh, per se. I just, you know, I'm glad that you were able to say goodbye properly. Cause I know that could be me too. Really tough yeah, to, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. For sure. man, it could be really tough to, to cope with shit if you, if you don't have that closure, I would imagine. So, um, uh, onto some uh, some happier things though, that happened uh, recently for you. I heard you, uh, you purchased your first house. You're a homeowner now. <laughs> Man, you know everything about me. It's kind of it's kind of is it creepy? Is it creepy? It's creeping me out a little. <laughs> <laughs> I try to do my research, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, first first time. Hopefully, last time. Yeah, it, it, and it and uh, you're just uh, staying in the in the Santa Cruz area. Just enjoy yeah. it. I, I love that. I'm the same way, man. I'm, I've, as you know, we've both traveled all over the fucking place. There's a lot of other places we could have rested our head, but where we, where we were born, where we were raised, just feels like home, right? Yeah, I, I was when I was chasing the dream of being an NHL scout for a while. I was like, I really wanted to do. I was aggressively sending resumes out and stuff like that. I was willing to move anywhere to, for for that for that job. Yeah, but a, after a while, I sort of just came to realize that I'm probably a lifer up here like i love i love santa cruz i love how close i am to like san francisco and san jose and even not that far from southern california right because i'm down there a lot for hockey anyway and uh just being close to the ocean and just the vibe here and and i'm grateful that i was able to do this because it's as you know it's it's fucking not cheap to live in california especially to live in like coastal kind of california so the fact that I was able to do this, I'm super grateful for. Yeah, I mean, it's fucking, it's, it's, an, it's awesome, man, being able to, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you get to do two of the great, uh, two of the things that you've wanted to do for a long time in, in recruiting and still doing uh, your passion in music and writing and singing and touring. As we said, you're about to hit the road again. And uh, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm really happy for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked out okay for a guy that for a guy that dropped out of high school. Like it worked. <laughs> when it worked did you out. drop out of high school? Junior year. Junior year, you got you got Santa me by Cruz one. I, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I dropped out in uh, my senior year to join the band. So we have so we have junior guards in common. We have a little bit yeah. of surfing. You know. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry I creeped you out with all the knowledge that I brought. No, today. that's fine. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm, it's impressive. Impressive. <laughs> Well, I think I took up enough of your time today, Russ. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'd love to keep in, in touch, man. Maybe sometime you're down in Orange County again. Come check out a show or, or uh, hit some waves or, or, or have some fun some way. 
Awesome, man. Sounds good. All right, man. Have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Russ for being on the show. Now, if you guys were wondering while you're listening where that hotel is in Louisville I was talking about, it is the 21C Museum Hotel. Go check it out if you're ever in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Absolutely great hotel, great restaurant as well inside there. Um, I'll let Russ know uh, now that I've realized what the name of the hotel was. Hopefully he's not already passed through there and uh, can go back and check it out. Uh, Again, thanks again, guys. Thanks for following the podcast. That really helps us out. Leave us a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now. Uh, Last week, we hit a very awesome milestone of the top third uh, hard rock music podcast, if if that's a good category for us, which is is really great, the top three, rather. Um, So I appreciate you guys for listening and following and uh, all your feedback for this uh, podcast, this project that I'm having so much fun doing. Really appreciate every single one of you guys. So uh, until next time, as always, cheers. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.